Thank you for downloading this podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. You join us as we journey through the book of James. If you find these podcasts helpful and would like to know more about us, please visit our website, citychurchleads.net. If you think about the fact that we're going to be reading James, perhaps you can guess. Quickly get your Bibles out, look at the first chapter of James, see if that gives you a clue. Has anybody got an idea? Has everybody got the first chapter of James ready? Jolly good. Now, to confound you all, I'm afraid I'm going to read it from um, the J.B. Phillips version, which um, is a lovely version I found years ago. So it'll be a bit different from the one you're looking at. If you haven't got a Bible, there's, there's plenty over there if anybody wants to grab one. Um, uh, otherwise, have you got somebody you can share with and look at? Is that all right? Right, I'm going to read the first chapter. James, servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, sends greetings to the twelve dispersed tribes. When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers and sisters, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Realize that they come to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of endurance. But let the process go on until that endurance is fully developed, and you will find you have become men and women of mature character with the right sort of independence. And if, in the process, any of you does not know how to meet any particular problem, he has only to ask God, who gives generously to all people without making them feel foolish or guilty, and he may be quite sure that the necessary wisdom will be given him. But he must ask in sincere faith, without secret doubts as to whether he really wants God's help or not, the man who trusts God, but with inward reservations, is like a wave of the sea, carried forward by the wind one moment and driven back by the next. That sort of person cannot hope to receive anything from God, and the life of a person of divided loyalty will reveal instability at every turn. The brother or sister who is poor may be glad because God has called them to true riches. The rich may be glad that God has shown them their spiritual poverty. For the rich man, as such, will wither away as surely as summer flowers. One day the sunrise brings a scorching wind, the grass withers at once, and so do all the flowers. All that lovely sight is destroyed. Just as surely will the rich man and all his extravagant ways fall into the blight of decay. The person who patiently endures the temptations and trials that come to him is the truly happy person. For once their testing is complete, they will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to all who love him. A man must not say when he is tempted, God is tempting me, for God has no dealings with evil, 
and does not himself tempt anyone. No, a man's temptation is due to the pull of his own inward desires, which can be enormously attractive. His own desire takes hold of him, and that produces sin. And sin, in the long run, means death. Make no mistake about that, brothers of mine. But every good endowment that we possess and every complete gift that we have received must come from above, from the Father of all lights, with whom there is never the slightest variation or shadow of inconsistency. By his own wish, he made us his own sons through the word of truth, that we might be, so to speak, the first specimens of his new creation. In view of what he has made us then, dear brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to listen, but slow to use his tongue, and slow to lose his temper. For man's temper is never the means of achieving God's true goodness. Have done then, with impurity and every other evil which touches the lives of others, and humbly accept the message that God has sown in your hearts, which can save your souls. Don't, I beg you, only hear the message, but put it into practice. Otherwise, you are merely deluding yourselves. The man who simply hears and does nothing about it is like a man catching the reflection of his face in a mirror. He sees himself, it is true, but he goes on with whatever he was doing without the slightest recollection of what sort of person he saw in the mirror. But the man who looks into the perfect mirror of God's law, the law of liberty or freedom, and makes a habit of so doing, is not the man who sees and forgets, he puts that law into practice and he wins true happiness. If anyone appears to be religious but cannot hold his tongue, he deceives himself. And we may be sure that his religion is useless. Religion that is pure and genuine in the sight of God the Father will show itself by such things as visiting orphans and widows in their distress and keeping oneself uncontaminated by the world. Father God, I pray that you will speak to us this morning, that we will be open to hear everything that you've got to say to us, and that in all that is said this morning, I pray that you will highlight the things that we really need to hear, that we need to do something about. Thank you, Father. Amen. Well, this morning we've sung all sorts of stuff. We've sung, to you our hearts are open. You are our one desire. Mighty God of love, you're welcome in this place. There's all sorts of things as well, which maybe I'll come back to as we go through this. And in that first chapter of James, there are all sorts of things that may well have hit you as I read it. Take that from God. And, and do something about that thing that's hit you in the heart. But I want to expand on some of those things. There's one bit I want to expand on particularly. 
And as you listen, if that hits home, that's the word for you from God. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about all these things that that God has said to me. What's really important? And the really important thing that God wants you all to know, no matter what else he says to you this morning, is that he loves you. I know you've heard it before, and you might think, yeah, I know that. And I find myself saying it over and over and over again. God loves us. But what I found is that the more I know, the more I realize that actually that's the really important thing, that God loves us, that he is a mighty God of love, and he loves us. So if you go away with nothing else, then go away with that. Okay, a bit of context, a bit of history. Um, this, uh, this book in the Bible is called James, and it's called James because it was written by James. Which James, I hear you ask? Or maybe you don't. Thank you, thank you, Jess. <laughs> we think it's probably Jesus' brother, James, that wrote this. He was also known as Old Camel Knees because he spent a lot of time on his knees in prayer. He wrote this letter quite early on in the history of the church because it's written to the 12 dispersed tribes. So we think that this was written at a time um, when the church was mainly made up of Jewish people, but they'd been scattered from Jerusalem because of the persecution. So when he talks about persecution and trials, he's talking about some of them having to go into the ring and face lions and being tortured. And he knew all about it. Um, I find the first chapter of the book is actually a really good introduction to the rest of the book. I would strongly encourage you to go home and read it for yourselves. Um, If you only get chapter one done, fine, but if you can do the whole book and then keep reading it as we go through the teaching, you'll get a lot more out of it. So I would encourage you to do that. And so the main theme for the whole book is the bits I paused over, maybe I paused over all sorts of other bits as well, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's the New International Version. Paul's no punches, does it? It's no good just listening to it. We need to do something about it. Right, the thing that hit me when I was looking through it is mirrors. Um, If you remember, towards the end of the chapter, it said... The man who simply hears and does nothing about it is like a man catching the reflection of his own face in a mirror. I thought that's a really strange image for James to use because at that time in history, mirrors were really expensive things. People, you know, you had to have a lot of money to have a nice brass polished mirror. So I want you to see if you can think of all the things you've ever heard about mirrors, perhaps it's a fact about mirrors, perhaps it's a saying about mirrors, perhaps it's different types of mirrors, perhaps there's a story that has mirrors in it, perhaps you've seen it in a TV show or a film. Why don't you get into twos or threes where you are and see how many things you can write down about mirrors. I'm going to give you three minutes. Okay, go. That's it. That's it. 
Have you all got lots of things about mirrors? Let's go around. Let's have one from each group as we go around. Something about mirrors. Anything you've got on your list? Shrek. Shrek. <laughs> mirror, mirror on the wall. Well, I, that originally comes from um, Snow White, doesn't it? And the woman, she looks into the mirror, goes, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest of them all? You are, darling. No, it says Snow White. And it eats into her. It gets to the point where she wants to commit murder because it's not what she wants to hear from that mirror. Yes, something else about mirrors. Anybody here? I just thought about the glitter ball. The glitter ball. It's got lots of mirrors on it and it sends light into all sorts of different places. Yes. Did you want to say something about mirrors? Vampires have no reflections in mirrors. If you break a mirror, it's supposed to give you seven years bad luck. Yeah, if you break a mirror, it's seven years bad luck, supposedly. Yes, anybody? Anybody? The halls of mirrors where they distort. Yeah, sometimes they're in mazes, aren't they? And you, you, you're meant to try and get through without bumping into the mirrors. And sometimes they're all bendy. And they can either make you look really good or really, <laughs> really fat, can't they? They're distorting, yes. Did you want to tell me anything about mirrors? Have you got anything? It only shows what's on the outside, not on the inside. Very good. It's, it has the appearance of reality, but it's not actually real. Yeah? Um, we've, we've put down about the mirrors you use in your car to be able to see. Yeah, rear view mirrors and the, the wing mirrors you've got so you can see. Yes, yes, that's a different type of mirror. Yes? Perfect surface finish. Perfect surface finish so that you can see the reflection. Yes, yes, good mirror fact there. Anybody else? Yeah. Um, a mirror image, it, you can't superimpose it. So in, in nature, there are molecules that are mirror images of each other. And because they're mirror images of each other, they can't take part in reactions sometimes because sometimes the space on, say, a cell wall is very specific for the shape of the molecule. And if the molecule is a mirror image, it can't take part in the reaction it's meant to take part in because it's the wrong shape. Yeah, that's a fair summary, isn't it? Yeah. Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. <laughs> Chap in the mirror. Yeah. And yeah. we also had the Harry Potter mirror where he sees like, what he desires. Ah, the Harry Potter mirror. I don't know whether you know about this. The mirror's called the Mirror of Erised, which is desire spelt backwards. And he ends up sitting in front of the mirror seeing what he most desires, which in Harry Potter's case is a family. And there's nothing bad about wanting a family, but he ends up sitting there for hours every night, looking into the mirror to see the family that he really wants. And had Dumbledore allowed him to carry on doing that, he might never have realized that actually there was a family that he was making a relationship with round him. Mirrors are tricksy things. Does anybody else want to think they've got something that they want to tell me about mirrors? Yes, go on. Yes, it's a sort of... Because it, it's not like that. Oh, I've lost it. I'm, 
I think my ear's in the wrong place because it's too near my mouth. <laughs> yeah, it's not as if you've turned around like that. It's that bit of you is there and that bit of you is there. It's the same, but it's different. Sorry, I'm fluffing into it, aren't I? There we go. There's something strange about mirrors. They're there right in ancient history about Narcissus who looked at his reflection in a pool and he fell in love with himself because he was so gorgeous. And he spent so long looking at his reflection in a pool, he wasted away, he didn't eat. Silly man. There's all sorts of stories about Alice through the looking glass, interestingly written by a mathematician, and there's all sorts of things you can do with maths and mirrors. It, when you look in a mirror, you can see a reflection of yourself, and sometimes there are other things that I loosely term mirrors. We have an image of ourselves, which we can get from looking in the mirror, or maybe how we think our friends see us. Or we have an image of ourselves that we create on Facebook, or maybe we create an avatar in, a, in an online fantasy role-playing game. We have an image of ourselves that we get from uh, looking at telly, get looking at adverts, just being absorbed in the culture that's around us. There were the distorting mirrors. Sometimes the mirrors we look in, the people we listen to, can have a distorting effect on what, who we think we are. Sometimes that can be a flattering thing, or sometimes it can really get us down. So I'm going to sort of think of this mirror as all those sorts of mirrors that we see, you know, our friends, adverts, all, all, all sorts of other mirrors, yes? And I'm going to think of this mirror as the one that James carries on to say. He says, but the man who looks into the perfect mirror of God's law, the law of liberty or freedom, and makes a habit of so doing, I'm going to think about this mirror over here, and for people listening to the tape, I've got two mirrors, one rather nice oval one, which I've just condemned, and one rather nice square one, which belonged to my grandma, um, which is a sort of picture of looking into God's law and seeing what it says. But when I look into this mirror, it's the same but it's different. It says again, as soon as he walks away, he can't see himself anymore or remember what he looks like. There's something important about walking past the mirror and we look in, oh, yes, and then we go away and we forget what we look like. But if James is using this as a mirror looking into God's law, it's like we look into what the Bible says about us Oh, that's nice. And then we walk away and we've completely forgotten who we are and we carry on with what we're going to do regardless rather than allowing this to affect who we are. There's something important about remembering. And first I'd like to think about remembering 
who God is. In Deuteronomy 5.15, it says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. If we've come to know Jesus as our friend and saviour, there was a time when we didn't know him. And it was like the Israelites in Egypt. It was tough. There was a slavery in our lives. We talk about being slaves to sin, being slaves to doing things the way that our desires pull us. Whereas when we come to Jesus, he sets us free. In 1 Chronicles 16.12, it says, Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he pronounced. For those of us who've got this relationship, we can think of all the times we've prayed and God has answered us. Well, before I became a Christian, I prayed to God and he answered me. So you may have had that experience as well. 2 Peter 1.12 says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. It's really good to be reminded of things. So what was it that Peter was reminding us of? 2 Peter 1.3-9 Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. The best invitation we ever received. That was the invitation when God said, come to me, you've had enough of doing things your own way. Come to me, my son died for you, I love you, I'm going to look after you. We were also given absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you. Your tickets to participation in the life of God after you turned your back on a world corrupted by lust. So don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given, complementing your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness and generous love. Each dimension fitting into and developing the others. With these qualities active and growing in your lives, no grass will grow under your feet. No day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of our master Jesus. Without these qualities, you can't see what's right before you. Oblivious that your old sinful life has been wiped off the books. So Peter there is reminding us of the absolute basics of our faith. It's really important to remember because in remembering, I believe it's going to have an effect. And here we are. He also wants to remind us, he wants to show us the truth that we are people loved by God. So let's look in this mirror again. Let's look at the word, and it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're God's handiworks, and there is a reason for that. He gives us a purpose. Genesis 1.27 So God created mankind 
in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is us. This is true. This is what it says in the Bible. This is what God says about us. But sometimes we can spend so long looking in this mirror, the mirror of adverts and what our friends think and what we think our friends think, which it sometimes influences us more, that we forget that what the Bible says is we're in God's image. God loves us. One Peter two nine, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. We need to know that we are this royal priesthood, this holy nation. That that's amazing. If you can get hold of that and grasp it. It's amazing. It's going to change you. And then you'll be able to declare God's praises. We have a purpose. It's to praise him, to become more like him. And in Psalm 139, it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. This is, this is us saying this about ourselves. If you have a difficulty with that, let's spend longer looking in the mirror. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So if we keep looking into this mirror, we start seeing ourselves with God's eyes. So we're the same, but we're different. We start seeing ourselves as we could be because God knows that we can be like that. We start seeing the potential we have in ourselves. We start seeing ourselves as God says we are, which is clean and standing before his throne, praising him, not down and fed up and cross with ourselves because God has forgiven us. We've been set free. I think it's really important which mirror we look into, which mirror we spend time looking at ourselves in. Now, I've got another mirror in here. Um, <clears throat> can you just imagine that this is a magnifying mirror? Because I went looked around the house and I haven't got one. Um, <laughs> but this is actually one of those where you look in it and you can see loads and loads either side of you. It's the sort of one that you have when a car is coming out of a driveway to see whether there's traffic coming from either side because it's a blind spot and they can't see. But I want you to imagine that this is a magnifying mirror. So when I pick it up like this and I go like that, I go, ooh. I can see all sorts of details there that I'd rather not see. And I can't see that bit on my elbow, that end bit on my elbow. 
In fact, there's nobody here who can actually directly look. You can try if you like. Go on, have a try, see if you can prove it. You can't look at that bit on the end of your elbow. You need a mirror to look at it. And when you look at it in detail, you say, oh, it's hard skin on the end of there. And sometimes God takes his mirror, his magnifying mirror, and he lets us see not the whole of ourselves, thank you, God, but he takes just one little bit and he magnifies it and says, I'd just like you to look at that. And I believe that actually that's what he's doing in James. He's just highlighting some stuff for us and saying, come on, I know you can do better than that. I know that you are amazing. But these things, there are one or two things that you need to take notice of here. And it's not in a way that, you know, some people have this idea of God that he's this big guy with a stick and every time you get something wrong, he's going to whack you for getting it wrong. And that's not the case. What God is doing is he wants us to be more and more like Jesus, his son. So he's just highlighting some bits for us. And it says in 2 Corinthians, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. You know that all-condemning feeling that you sometimes get that goes, oh, you do all these things wrong, and oh, you're such a bad person. You did that the other day, and you're always doing that, and it's absolutely dreadful. I don't know why you don't just give up because you're rubbish. That's not God speaking to you. That's coming from the pit of hell. Because that's not who you are. Okay, you may have got something wrong. So you just say, really sorry, God, I'm going to do my best not to do that again. And God says, that's great. I love you, my child. You're clean. You're forgiven. Let's get on. That's what God does. So when you get those all condemning feelings, that's not God speaking to you. Just chuck that out. If there's one particular thing you've done wrong, then bring that to God. Get it sorted out and you're good to go. So, he puts this magnifying mirror on and he shows us one or two things. And that's what I believe James is doing in this, this book. He's saying to his really beloved children in the church, come on guys, I know that you can, you can do this stuff because God is going to help you do it. And so the first section, verses 2 to 8, he's talking about life happens. He knew about persecution. But life happens. Things do go wrong. Things go appallingly pear-shaped at times. Really awful things can happen to us. And sometimes we think, oh, do you know, I'm a Christian, I should be able to deal with this. Come on, don't beat yourself up. That's not how God speaks to you. That's not how God deals with you. God comes alongside you. And it may be that as you're spending time with him, he comes alongside you. Or it may be that he sends brothers and sisters to stand with you. And we need each other. This is a really prime time when we need each other. We need those words of encouragement from each other. We need that meal that's put in the freezer for us. We need people to come up and say, how are you? 
are you? You don't look tip-top. Let me pray for you. And something that um, Ian said last week, oh, if you haven't heard Ian's talk from last week, please listen to it. It's just, it's just so good, so I'm going to quote him here. Don't try harder, get closer. Because, you know, there are times when things are really, really awful. You can't try harder. It's taking you all your energy just to survive. You can't try harder, but you do need to get closer. Let that awful time push you closer towards God. Don't let it get as a wedge in the way. Because as we get closer to God, as we spend time with him, he can pour his love and his peace and his healing into our hearts. And that's what we really need. And I am convinced, as it says in the Bible, that even bad stuff, God can bring good out of it. There's another verse when he says, none of this awful stuff feels pleasant at the time. But for those who are trained by it, it will bring a harvest of righteousness. If we will stick close to God in these really bad times, God will bring good out of it somehow. We will come closer to God. We will find out more of his compassion. I know that in this group, there are things that you've been through, that I've been through, that have been really rough. And maybe we can't always recognize at the time what is going on and how God is going to use it. But I would say that when I went through clinical depression, what I found more than anything else was that God loved me. That was the thing that didn't go away. God loves me. And I find I need to pass that on. That God loves us. He loves all of us. So, when we're going to get closer, rather than trying harder, I was thinking about um, the sword of the Spirit. You know, in Ephesians, we're told to put on the armor of God. And the sword of the Spirit is um, the word of God. Now, if we just briefly take a word from the Bible and we quote it, that's not actually the full meaning of that. Because we might just take the word, quote it, and, and then forget it again. And it doesn't... It doesn't really do anything for us. And I found out something really fascinating on YouTube, which is that, you know, these samurai swords that you can get, and you can get them to hang on your wall. They look fabulous. They look really perfect and shiny and beautiful. And the samurai swords that are made to hang on the wall are made by cutting out a piece of metal, polishing it up, and then the handle is spot welded onto it. So that if you took that samurai sword off the wall and tried to use it like that, and I've just lost my microphone, whoops, the handle would break off. And if you did that, the handle would break, the blade would come up and hit you, probably. It's not good. It looks good. But it's not how a proper samurai sword is made. 
to make a proper blade. The metal bit of the handle and the blade are one unit. And they are hammered out of a block of, of metal that has metals mixed into it. Some blades are folded and folded and folded and hammered. It has to go through fire. It has to be heated up to an incredible temperature. It has to be cooled. A blade has to be cooled, depending on what's in it, either with oil or water. And then it has to be heated up again. It has to be tempered. It has to be hammered so that it's, it's taken down to a, a, a nice sharp edge on both sides. It has to be polished. It has to be sharpened. It has to be polished and polished and polished. It has to go through some stuff to become that incredible blade that will cut through anything. And that's a bit the way we've got to be with God's word. So if we take a verse, say John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can read that and then go on doing whatever you do regardless. Or you can start looking at it. For God so loved the world. For God, God is real. He loved the world. I'm part of the world. God loves me. And he loves everybody around me, whether they know him or not. That he gave his one and only son. I know that that word gave doesn't just mean that Jesus came somehow to be friends with us. I know that that means that God said to Jesus, you prepare to do this, Jesus? And Jesus said, yes. I'm prepared to step out of eternity and into time. I'm prepared to become completely helpless, completely dependent on a woman who will feed me and change my nappy. And I will grow up and know what it is to be a refugee. I will learn a trade and everybody will wonder about my parentage. And in the end, having told everybody that, God, you are full of love and you love them, the religious hierarchy of the day, because of politics, will send me to a horrible, excruciating death. And I am prepared to do that because it will reconcile the people that you love on earth, Father, so that they can call you their father, so that they can be clean and stand in your presence. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. All those things that they did wrong, when they rebelled against you, I'm going to pay the price for all that. And they will know what it is to have eternal life. That's when it changes us. That's when it makes a difference. We no longer glance in the mirror 
and walk away and do our own thing. But we look into the perfect law of God that gives us freedom and we walk into the world knowing that we are ambassadors of God, that we are dearly loved children of God, that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and that we carry the love of an almighty God to the rest of the world, that we can communicate that. And 9 to 11 goes on to tell us about true riches. That is true riches. It points out, if you're poor, rejoice. You know what real riches are. If you're rich, rejoice anyway. You know what true riches are. Don't put your faith in the riches that you've got. Our business could go completely pear-shaped tomorrow. We could lose everything. God loves me. It would be tough, but God loves me. And that's where my real riches are. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. From 12 onwards, it talks about, uh, just verse 12 talks about external stresses. These things come to us. They're stresses. But if we will look in this mirror of the law of freedom, God will be with us through absolutely everything. And 13 to 18 talks about internal struggles, temptations that come to us. I really like the J.B. Phillips uh, version of this because it, it pulls no punches. No, a man's temptation is due to the pull of his own inward desires, which can be enormously attractive. Temptation wouldn't have any power if it wasn't attractive, would it? Let's face it, we, we actually want to do these things some, sometimes. But God says in 1 Corinthians 10:13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. In other words, there's loads of people who've been this, through this before you and you can come through it. There's nothing new under the sun. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God is always faithful. When we hit something that's really hard, choose wisely, but choose somebody you can go and talk to. When you're held accountable for something, it's, it's much easier to resist it. Choose, choose a brother or a sister who will help you. <clears throat> and you can come through this. Again, don't try harder, get closer. 19 to 27 talks about controlling our tongues. It's about how we react when we get angry about things. Do we say that thing which we can never take back again? We've said it, the person heard it, it's caused damage. We can never take it back. And last week, um, Ian was talking about uh, whatever you soak in, you know, when you squeeze, that's what's going to leak out. Let's be those who soak 
in God's presence. Let's be those who soak in what God says in his perfect law of freedom so that when we come under pressure and we get prodded, what comes out is God's love. I'm not being unrealistic here. I'm, you know, I know what happens to me. I never say anything um, untoward. Oof, no. I never make the joke that I shouldn't. Um, no. <laughs> Is there anybody perfect here? Uh, no, jolly good. I thought I might be the only one, but we're all right. <clears throat> Another thing that Ian said that I'm going to remind us of, when we plant these seeds, they're going to grow because seeds want to grow. But it's really important what you put the seeds in because it will affect how they grow. So when we get a seed, something that God puts into our hearts, let's nourish it by looking what the, uh, what the Word says about it so that it grows strong and healthy in our lives. Let's not let it get all strangled by paying attention to the wrong people, to the wrong things. I hope this morning I've convinced you that we have a choice between two mirrors, between concentrating on what we may hear around us that's not coming from God, or by concentrating on what God says in his word through other people speaking to us his word, through the songs that we sing, through the tapes that we listen to. And I hope I've convinced you this morning that it's this mirror, this mirror of God's word, that's the one we should be looking into. That's the one, because mirrors are tricksy, that when it shows us what we look like, we'll think, it's the same, but it's different, but it's a good different, it's a possible different. It's how God sees me. It's how I want to be. It's so that I can grow up into the full maturity of Christ. And if, as you've listened to this, you've thought, well, I can't really believe that. I can't really take that on board. Actually, I'm not sure what she's talking about at all because I thought I knew about God, but actually this sounds completely different. But there's something quite interesting, there's something quite attractive about this. I want to give you the opportunity this morning that if you're in that situation and you think, this is different from something I've ever heard before, I want to know more, or I want to get to know Jesus, I want you to have that opportunity. Now I think, Mark, were you going to, yeah, Mark's going to lead us in a prayer. So when Mark talks about that, when Mark leads us in this prayer, if you think that's you, if there's a pull on the inside of you and you're thinking, oh, I'm not sure I understand it all, but I think this is what I want, go for it. Pray that prayer with Mark and find God for yourself. Amen.
Let me give Sarah a huge round of applause. Thank you, Sarah. We appreciate that, and we appreciate the work and the time that you put into developing that and presenting that this morning, don't we? We appreciate that. Good word. So listen again online. just want to come back to what Sarah just said then. If throughout this morning, uh, and particularly maybe throughout Sarah's talk, God has been talking to you, or there's been a feeling inside you, or there's just been something, you, do you know, I want to know more about Jesus. I want to have what they call, what those Christians call relationship with Jesus. Or if you've stepped away from that relationship, you once had it, but you desire it again. Do you know what? There's no harm in praying this prayer again if you want to. But I don't want you to be in a place of darkness. I want you to be in a place of light. My desire for you is to know God's love, not to know, know God as somebody who hates. I desire for you to have that relationship with him on such a deep level that it changes your life. And not only that, it changes the lives of those around you. So if that is you this morning in any of those categories, then I'd like us all please to close our eyes and to bow our heads because somebody might want to mouth that, this prayer out loud. They might want to, and I don't want to embarrass them. I want to give everybody every opportunity. So close your eyes, bow your heads. Say this prayer in your heart if you don't want to say it out loud, okay? Lord Jesus Christ, repeat after me. I am sorry for the things I have done in my life. Just take a few moments to think about what those things are, what things you need to ask forgiveness for. And now say this, please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.